0: we're reading from second corinthians uh, chapter 1 verses 12 through 22 this morning now this is our boast our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you in the holiness and sincerity that are from god we have done so not according to worldly wisdom but according to god's grace for we do not write you anything You cannot read or understand, and I hope that as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us, just as we will boast of you in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because I was confident of this, I planned to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I planned to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia, and then to have you send me... That on my way to Judea when I plan this, did I do it lightly or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no for the son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy was not yes and no, but in him has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen has spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both of us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Good morning.
1: One of the privileges I have as a pastor at Cole is I get to do weddings. And as part of that, I always do premarital counseling. It's one of the things that we're committed to here at Cole. We always are committed to doing, creating marriages, not just weddings. And in those times with the couple, it's always fun to see these starry-eyed, two that are excited about joining their lives together. And I always address the area of conflict. I always ask, how do you each deal with conflict? And every once in a while, the couple will say, oh, we don't have any conflict. (laughs) We've never had a fight. We just get along wonderfully. And, you know, you have to kind of laugh inside. um, Because conflict, as we all know, If you've walked very long with people, conflict is inevitable in relationships. It's impossible, in fact, to take two selfish sinners, (laughs) put them together over time, and not create pain, misunderstanding, hurt, and anger at some point in the relationship. If it's not there, if the couple's never had a fight or the people have never had conflict, then what that tells me is somebody's really good at stuffing it and ignoring it and pretending like it's not there. But the reality is there is pain and misunderstanding and difficulty, conflict in every relationship. There's an old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. What it's really saying is that the more you know a person... The more stuff you're going to see in their lives, the more you're going to be aware of their weaknesses, and the more that's going to cause pain in the relationship. That's just a truism because over time you see the person's faults more clearly. From what I've seen in working with people, and there are many variations, but I've noticed two major ways of responding to conflict. Some of you are withdrawers. You get into a a fight or you get hurt and you can't stand the conflict. So as a withdrawer, you just want to try to avoid it. You want to get away. You don't want to face into it right away and you want to go think it through and figure it out before you ever try to address it. So your natural response is just to withdraw, to shut down. Some of you are engagers (laughs) and engagers can't stand the tension. So they want to get in your face and talk it through right now. From my observation, God loves to put opposites together. (laughs) And many of our marriages are that way, right? Where you have one withdrawer and one engager and that makes it even more difficult. Why does he do that? Well, I think God wants us to be forced to grow in love, in patience, in understanding. So we need to learn to deal with conflict, don't we, in a a healthy way. Uh, The relational pain that we face, we need to learn to deal with it in a way that brings life to the relationship rather than death. So withdrawers need to learn to face into the conflict in a healthy way and not just shut down. And engagers need to learn to be patient. Give the other person time so that you engage in a timely manner and in a healthy manner way. Of course, not just in a marriage, but in any relationship, there's conflict. Even in churches, many of you have experienced that. When I first came to Christ at age 17, I got involved in a church that was a split off another church, that there'd been an argument and a disagreement between two of the church elders. And so they'd split and created two separate churches. Too many of our Churches and denominations are splits because of personality issues. I I understand there's times where for theological issues there needs to be a division, but so often it's not for that, it's for personal hurts and anger and frustration. Well, we're studying the book of 2 Corinthians and in this book, which is the most personal of Paul's books, he and the Corinthians are in conflict. There's misunderstanding. There's hurt. There's pain in the relationship. Paul had had to confront them several times about some sin in the body of Christ, and there had been difficulty because of that. They, in turn, were hurt, and they were angry, and they were mistrusting of Paul. There was pain in the relationship. But in our passage today, as Paul addresses this issue, I think he gives us a wonderful model for how we can approach conflict, pain, in our relationships, whether it's in our marriage or in other relationships, so that we can learn better ways of dealing with that pain and conflict so that we might bring life to that conflict rather than death. Pray with me. Lord, as we address a topic like this, conflict in relationships, we can all relate. We've all been there. We've been hurt. And we've hurt others. And Lord, it's tempting for us to just not deal with it and to withdraw or perhaps engage in a way that's hurtful or perhaps to gossip behind the scenes about the person but not address the person, not talk to the person. So as we look at how Paul deals with that today, may we have our hearts opened by your spirit to new ways of facing into the relational pain and conflict that we all face at times. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to highlight four responses I see of Paul's that I think are very helpful to us as we think about how we deal with the conflicts we all face in our lives. The first, in verse 12 through 14, is he, where he begins is he begins by examining himself first. Examine yourself first. Now, isn't it true that the natural response for all of us in a conflict is to focus on the other person and what they've done wrong? We want to make a list, right? We want to catalog it. We want to put neon lights around it. We want to highlight what they have done wrong. Why do we do that? We want to highlight their f- sins and their faults and their mistakes. We, we do that, I think, because it's empowering for us. It feeds our pride. Makes us feel above them somehow. It allows us to justify our resentment... And hang on to it so we don't have to let it go. It strengthens our position. It makes us feel like, you know, we're building this defense and we're in our bunker so where we can throw rocks at the other person, but we're safe. Makes us feel like we are in the right. And you've done this, I'm sure. I certainly have. Where when there's a conflict, you begin to run these conversations in your mind, right? about what you'd like to say to the person. Oh, yeah, maybe I'll never say it, but boy, would I like to give them a piece of my mind. And if I had the opportunity, here's what I would say. <laughs> and you've got it all built up in your mind and that feeds the resentment and the anger and the frustration. It just feels so good, though, doesn't it? it feels so good to hammer them, at least in your imagination. And just think about what it would feel like to hammer them with your words, or maybe even your fists, perhaps. (laughs) But what I've found is that when we stay there, when that's our focus, when it's on the other person and their faults, we never get beyond it. It just creates more damage and harm to our own souls first, as well as the relationship So what's the godly response? Well, Jesus made it very clear when he said, don't judge, but make sure you take the log out of your own eye (laughs) and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Yeah, but the speck, it's... No, no, deal with the log in your own eye first. There's a couple things Jesus is saying there. Number one, he says, you got to start with your own stuff. You've got to look at your own heart. You've got to deal with your sin, your attitude first. And secondly, if you're honest, I think that illustration reveals that if you're honest, that if you really look at your stuff, it's going to end up appearing a lot bigger than that other person's. Yours is like a log, theirs is just like a speck. If we're really honestly looking at our own heart. You see, if you don't get to that point, then I don't think you've really examined your own stuff very deeply. But if we get to a place of saying, they're broken, yeah, they've messed up, yeah, they've hurt me, yeah, they've sinned, but, but I'm broken too, and I have too, and I need to deal with my stuff first. You see, if you do that, then that opens the door to healing. Now Paul, as I see in these few verses, he looks at four different areas of his life and he says, I've looked at these areas. And notice it's not quick. If he's really looking at these four areas, that means he's taken time to do it. It isn't this kind of, fine, I'll look at my own issues. Um, Nope, can't think of anything I've done wrong. So it's really your fault. (laughs) No, he takes time to dig into it and to look at it. At first, he says, I've looked at my conscience. I've let God speak to me in my conscience to look at that and see what's going on and what he's speaking to me about. Secondly, he, he looks at his dependence. He says, yeah, we haven't been acting out of fleshly wisdom, selfish wisdom but rather God's grace. What's he saying there? He's saying, you know, I've really looked at my heart and and I don't think I've been acting out of self-protection or out of trying to get for myself, but I really think I'm focusing on God's grace. That's been my motivation here. It's good to look at your motivations and what's really driving it. Is it selfish or is it really God's grace that you're dependent on, that I need his forgiveness and grace as much as the other person does? Third, he looks at his behavior, his conduct in the relationship, and he says, "You know, I'm looking at how I've spent time with you and how I've acted towards you." Now, they could have easily confronted him if he'd done wrong because he he'd lived with them for a couple of years. He spent more time in the church at Corinth than any other church, as far as we know, and so he'd been there with them. They'd seen his life, and he says, "Hey, I've looked at my conduct and." And look that through. And then, fourthly, he looks at the relationship and the impact on it. And he's very honest about that. Yeah, there's pain, there's misunderstanding in this relationship. So, all this tells me that Paul took time to really look at it and look at himself, examine himself first. And that's a great way to begin. Notice that Paul's able to say, you know, I've really taken time. I've looked at my own issues, my conscience, my heart, my attitudes, my behavior. And I can honestly say before God that I don't see what I've done wrong. I will say that Paul's an apostle and probably 99% of the time, if we honestly look at our lives, we're not going to be able to say what Paul says here. We're going to say, yeah, there are things I've done wrong. There are things I need to repent of there are things I need to apologize for. I went through a conflict not long ago with a brother in Christ, and to be honest, I was really hurt. I was really angry. There was real pain in the relationship. And I struggled with that, and I was really tempted to point at all he had done, and that was where I wanted to go. See, that's the natural response, right? to blame them, to focus on them. But God kept speaking to me, no, look at your own stuff, look at your own stuff. And and as I began to look at my heart and began to see some things that God wanted me to deal with, it was hard, but as I went there, I realized I do need to apologize about some things. Yeah, but, but, but what about him? No, deal with your own stuff. So I went to him and I apologized. I don't think he ever really faced the things that he'd done and hurt me about. But you know what? There was something that changed in my own heart, and over time I began to see, you know, yeah, my part's as big as his at least, if not bigger. And as I dealt with my stuff, what he did to me didn't seem nearly as big. There was a freedom in my soul through that. See, I think if we really look at the log in our own eye, if we look at our own stuff, most of the time we won't even need to go to them because we'll realize we've already worked it through in our own attitude and our own hearts. That's why it's so important that we begin there, even though everything in us is saying, yeah, but, no, let's look at me. And God will honor that. That's both Jesus and Paul agree. This is where we need to begin by examining our stuff First, But say you do come to a place of saying, yeah, but this is harming our relationship and I really do need to go to them. We need to get this worked through. Then what's the next step? Well, the next step we see in verses 15 through 18 is that Paul addresses the issue directly. Now, you know, if you have a major conflict going on and you never face it, what's that, what that's like? Whenever you're around the person... It comes to mind, right? It's like this big elephant in the room and it's sitting there and you're kind of trying to look around it. But the reality is it's, it's causing harm in the relationship all the way along. So there comes a time where you have to deal with it. So what Paul does in these verses is he addresses, ah, I know why you're mad at me. I know what the issue is. I know why you're upset. So let's get it on the table. Let's deal with it. He explains the issue this way. This is what happened. This was what was causing conflict between him and the Corinthians. It appears that Paul had intended, he said in fact at the end of 1 Corinthians, that I want to come to you and visit you, Corinthians. He was in Ephesus. He said, I'm going to come to you on my way to Macedonia. So I'll go to Corinth first and then go up north to Philippi and Thessalonica and then I'll come back down through Corinth again and then go on my way to Judea where I'm taking a gift to the Jerusalem church from all these Gentile churches because there was a famine going on in Jerusalem. So he laid out this plan for them, made it very clear that's what he wanted to do. And then he didn't do it. He didn't follow through. Actually, what happened is that Paul got a message about Corinth, about some things going on there and... He wanted to hurry and respond to that, so he wrote what he calls his severe letter. He wrote a letter confronting them about some of the things that he heard was going on, and he sent the letter quickly to them to confront them about some of these things instead of going to them. Well, you can imagine what they were saying and what they were feeling. They were feeling hurt because it was a hard letter, They were feeling upset that he hadn't followed through and come and visited when he said he was going to. They were accusing him of not being faithful, of not being trustworthy, of not being a good apostle, being unstable, fickle, vacillating. And to add to this conflict, there were these, what Paul later calls super apostles. There were these false apostles that were traveling around and there were some in Corinth and they were rivals of Paul. They were trying to undermine his ministry. So they saw this as a great opportunity to take advantage of what was going on. So they're adding to the criticisms of Paul. In fact, he deals with that later in 2 Corinthians. But they're saying all kinds of things about Paul to try to undermine their trust in him. So these guys are throwing out things like, you know, Paul, Paul worked. He didn't take money. As an apostle, so therefore, you know, he's not a real apostle. Not like us, we take money for what we do. (laughs) And they were saying, you know, uh, things like in 1010, they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech of no account. He's not very polished, he doesn't look very impressive, he has a terrible TV presence. You know, he just wouldn't... He's not somebody you should trust or follow. So these other rivals were stirring up more and more conflict with the Corinthians. So in the midst of all this, that had to be very painful for Paul because the Corinthians are buying into this. And they're criticizing him. He who had poured out his life for them who had ministered to them, who had not taken money because he said, I didn't want to burden you in any way. I worked as a tent maker so I could share the gospel with you free of charge. He served them. He loved them. He poured out his life for them. And they're criticizing him in all these foolish ways. But what does Paul do? Rather than being angry, he could have, for example, used his apostolic authority and just nailed him. No, he didn't. He examines himself first. He looks carefully at himself, and then he says, Let's talk about the issue. Here's the issue. Let's get it on the table. This allows them to face it squarely. This allows them to stop beating around the bush. And I think it shows respect for their hurt, it shows concern for them, and it demonstrates. The courage to walk into this difficulty in the relationship. I think it's honoring to God. So he begins with examining himself, then he moves to honestly laying the issue on the table. And then, third, in verses 19 through 22, he does something very interesting. Not what I would have anticipated at all. He doesn't yet explain why he didn't come when he said he was going to. In fact, what he does which seems kind of strange, he talks about God's working in their relationship. Is he just avoiding the, the issue? Is he disrespectful of their hurt? I don't think so. Notice what he does in that section. I, I'd like to read it again because it's a, it's a powerful section as he recounts, and listen to how he recounts how God has worked in their relationship. Verse 19 and following, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it's always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That's why it is through him that we utter our Amen to God, for his glory. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ, and who has anointed all of us, and who has put a seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Now, as I wrestle with this, what is Paul really doing here? I, I was struck by the fact he, he kind of steps back. And he says, yeah, we've got a conflict between us, but let's step back and just look at how God has worked in our relationship over time. He, he's really trying to help them see that their conflict is not just about them and their relationship it's about the kingdom of god it's about something bigger that god is doing and he's trying to say look yeah we're going to talk about the issue but let's keep this in mind as we move forward you see i think it helps him helps them see what god is doing in this relationship what does he do he says now remember we preached jesus to you and you responded to that And God gave us these great promises that you and I all depend on. God brought us into relationship and He established us as a community together in Christ. God anointed you and anointed us. And God sealed you with the Holy Spirit and He sealed us with the Holy Spirit. God did all this in our relationship. God has been at work. You see, it really helps them see what God has been doing in the relationship And that that's more important than what the other person did to hurt me. I think that's the brilliance of what Paul does here. It puts it in a bigger context. Now, you and I know when you're in a conflict, you tend to put blinders on. And all you can see when you're around that person is what they did to you. That's all you can think about. Every time they walk in the room, every time you think about them is how they've hurt you. And so the brilliance of what Paul's doing is he's saying, you know, God brought us together. God's been working in this relationship. Let's take the blinders off and remember that God's at work. It's not easy to do. It's not natural to do. But I think it is incredibly powerful to break through the conflict itself. It's like. Putting on 3D glasses so you keep in mind you see things a little differently. It gives you a new perspective. Let me be really practical here. It's like a situation in a marriage where, you know, the husband keeps leaving his socks on the floor, and the wife's talked to him about it over and over and over again. <laughs> And that little issue, the socks on the floor get bigger and bigger because she feels like, well, I've talked to him about it. Yeah, that's not a big deal. But if he really loved me, he would make the effort to pick those up. And he's thinking, why does she keep bringing this up? It's just socks. And okay, yeah, I, I forget to pick them up. It's not that I don't like her. I'm trying to get back at her, but... I just forget, and now she's on my back, and if she really loved me, she wouldn't keep nagging me about this. And the conflict grows, and it gets bigger and bigger, and all you can think about is how this person keeps hurting you, and it it grows and grows. Why? Because you've got these blinders on. But when you step back and say, well, wait a minute, really, these are just socks. Why are we going to let those disrupt something that God did in bringing us together? And he wants to do something great through our marriage and have us love our kids and care for them and impact the world as a picture of God's love. And we're arguing about socks? How foolish is that? You see, when you step back and say, how has God been working in our relationship here? It allows you to put it in proper perspective. It allows you to take the blinders off so you see it differently. So step three, I think, is really important where you just recount for one another how has God been in this relationship, what's he been doing, and let's get get him in the picture instead of just focusing on the hurt. Then fourth, Paul goes on in 123 to 24 to do something really, I think, wonderful, and that is... He reaffirms his love for them. He does explain why he didn't come when he said he was going to. But in the midst of that, I see his attitude over and over again. He just wants to reaffirm the fact he really loves them and keep that central in the relationship. Listen to verse 23 and following. But I call God to witness against me. He said, I'm being honest here. God's my witness. He makes this oath. I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Paul says it was really for your good. I didn't want to cause more difficulty or problems or pain for you. And that's why I didn't come. And he goes on to explain, give two reasons why he didn't come. Why, what would have caused more pain if he had actually shown up? Verse 24 says this, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. What's what's he saying here? I think he's saying, look, I wrote this severe letter, I confronted you about some things, but if I showed up and confronted you, you would be tempted to depend on me rather than the Lord. I don't want to lord it over your faith. I don't want to be your boss spiritually. I want to encourage you, but I don't want to lord it over. I want you to depend on Jesus, not on me. And he says, you stand firm in your faith. I trust the Lord in you. I trust your faith in Jesus. Now, that's a remarkable thing to say, considering how many problems they'd had as a church. But he says, I really believe in Jesus in you. So the reason I didn't come is I didn't want you to depend on me. I wanted you to depend on the spirit in you. And I trust that God will use my letter and He will work in your heart. That's why I didn't come. I didn't want you to depend on me. Secondly, I didn't come because I didn't want to increase the pain in our relationship. Chapter 2, verse 1. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to have made me glad but the one whom I have pained? He said, you know... There's already struggle and difficulty in our relationships, so that's why I didn't come. I wanted to give you time to work through the pain. I wanted to give myself time before I came again, and I didn't want to cause more pain. I want to come to a place where we can really find joy in our relationship again. So I'm giving God time to work. Then I really like what he says in verse 3 and 4 as he ends this section. And I wrote as I did so that when I came I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice for I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all for I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears not to cause you pain but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. He says, yeah, I know I wrote a hard letter I know it was painful in some ways but it wasn't because I wanted to hurt you it was because I love you and I wanted to see God work in your life in these areas that you were struggling with. So what Paul actually does as he ends this section is he reaffirms his love for them. He says, I really do love you. I, I'm for you. I'm for this relationship. I just think this is so important because, you know, as the saying goes, people don't, know, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Uh, There's got to be this context of love before people can really hear hard things. People need to know that despite the conflict, you really do want what's best for them. You love them and are for them. You know, when someone approaches you with criticism, if, if you know they're really mad at you and you feel like they just want to hurt you, it's really hard to hear, isn't it? But if you sense that they really do care about you and they really are out for your good and they love you, then it's much easier to hear what they have to say. Proverbs says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You see, someone who really loves you will wound you at times. There will be difficulty in the relationship. There will be pain. But... When you know they're a friend, when you know they're out for your good, you can deal with it and work it through better. But a constantly critical relationship is like eating glass. It not only hurts when you chew it, but it hurts all the way down. That's what constant criticism is like. So I love the way Paul does this. He, he reaffirms his love for them so they can hear what he has to say. As we all know, as we've said, conflict, misunderstanding, pain in relationships is inevitable. And either withdrawing to avoid it or forcefully engaging in a way that runs over people won't help the resolution. If you're a withdrawer and you've had pain in a church relationship, and and you just say no I'm, I'm just going to go to a different church so I don't have to see that person anymore I just don't think that's what God wants but walking through this process I think can be very helpful to help us begin to deal with conflict in a healthy way now we all know that you can't control the other person's response this is only your response And it may or may not bring reconciliation in the relationship, but at least you will know that you have handled it the way Jesus and the way Paul encourages us, encourage us to. Paul gives us a model for handling conflict. Examine yourself first. Be honest about it. Get it on the table. But as you do so, make sure you keep God in the picture and what he has done in the relationship and what he is doing and how he's working in the midst of this and then as much as you can reaffirm your love and if we will do this I think though this model is not natural for us it is not our natural response it is the natural response of the spirit who indwells us and as we depend on the spirit to respond this way God can use it to bring healing and unity in the body of Christ if we're willing to submit our pain and our hurt to Him, He will give us what we need to move towards a deeper unity. know, as we close, as I close my message, I want us to take a couple minutes to just pray. Just seek the Lord, and maybe the Lord's speaking to you about a relationship where there's conflict, and maybe you have or haven't handled it well. I don't know, but God does. But take that pain that difficulty, that conflict to him and see what he might be speaking to you about this morning. Let's take a couple minutes to pray silently and then I'll close. Oh, Heavenly Father, relationships are messy. Uh, We get hurt easily. We hurt others. We sin against others and they sin against us. And it's hard. We look forward to the day when we can stand in your presence and all the mess is gone and we can truly experience the depth of community that we were created for. But in the meantime, Lord, here... Thank you that we are not left, we're not abandoned to just respond like the world does, that just creates more division and hurt, but by the power of your Spirit in us, we can respond in a healthy way that can bring reconciliation and healing and life-giving power of the Spirit in our relationships. So help us, Lord, to respond by the Spirit in a way that brings life as we face conflict. We pray in Jesus' name.
0: Amen.